Stacy Nivadomsky Berdan is a seasoned global executive, an international careers expert, and a best-selling award-winning author on how to succeed in the global marketplace. In this interview, Stacy talks about her background and how she eventually became an author. She also gives advice for you before you leave for your study abroad trip, while you're there, how to maximize your time, and even after you return so you can hit the ground running with job interviews after you graduate. She also shares a few personal stories along the way, which we all have and which we all love to hear on the Study Abroadcast. So without further ado, I'm going to turn it over to Stacy. The three biggest reasons only 10% of students study abroad. They're afraid of being homesick, they don't think it's safe, and the number one reason people don't study abroad is cost. We're here to dispel all that, find out exactly how that 10% crafted their study abroad journey, and how you can too. I'm Chris Carlton, and this is the Study Abroadcast. Hello everyone, this is Chris Carlton. Welcome to another episode of the Study Abroadcast. I am here with a best-selling author, actually, Stacy Burdan. Stacy, thank you very much for being here. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. So, can we start a little bit about your background and how you got into becoming an uh, an author and a business coach? Yes, uh, I did not start out to be a writer or an author, uh, or in this space in particular. I my background is in. Started out as a journalist at the Miami Herald, did public relations, public affairs, marketing for Burson Marsteller, worked in Washington, D.C., New York, um, in Hong Kong for three years. Oh, wow. Uh, had client, yeah, had clients um, all over the world. So the vast majority of my career has been in marketing, public relations, advertising as a strategic consultant as I moved through. I also worked for Unilever, mostly Fortune 500 type clients, so very large multinationals with presence around the world, as well as some organizations and some foundations and nonprofits. So that's the, the vast majority of my career has been spent as, right. a, as a business person. So then how did, how, did you, how did you branch over to becoming an author and writing well, on, on this topic? Yeah, it's interesting because when my time in Hong Kong, I always, I grew up traveling. I love to travel, wanted to go places all the time. And I, I joined Burst and Marsteller because they talked about having a global footprint and sending staff around the world. So uh, when I went to Hong Kong, it took a little while to get there. And one of the things I, I write about in one of my books is actually how to pursue an international or a global career because it's kind of tricky to, to, uh, to land the assignments. But once I was there, I thought, oh, this is great, this is fabulous, but I realized how much I did not know, how even though I had, quote, traveled and had lots of international friends, picking up and living in another country, working in another country, managing a staff of people who are all culturally very different uh, than I was, was extremely difficult, and I really wasn't prepared. Um, I did well. Um, I had lots of mistakes along the way. But I was amazed with how much of my international colleagues, say one based in Hong Kong or China or France or Mexico, were so much more competent. Plus, they spoke a couple languages. So I kind of tucked this away at the back of my head. And I went back to um, D.C. after my time in Hong Kong. My client portfolio grew and it was global and I worked all over. And then I realized, fast forward many years later, that... Um, there was something to not only working abroad for me, but I had talked to so many other women around the world who had actually done this and had fast forwarded their career, catapulted their career. We all jumped a couple of levels, 
you know, just sped through right. the salary and the promotions. And that's what led to my very first book, Get Ahead by Going Abroad, uh, specifically written for women. I did research with hundreds of women, not just Americans, but women who have worked and lived all over the world and um, defined a trend that actually women who work internationally can catapult and fast track their careers. And that kind of then led to the other five books that kind of, uh, I like to call a reverse series. <laughs> right. Well. And, and to that end, so as far as studying abroad goes, when would you say is the best time to go? Right. So similar to any time anyone wants to spend time abroad, whether it's for a job or an internship or study abroad, I say what's best for you, right? What works for you? What works for your schedule? The vast majority of students these days as undergraduates go as juniors. That hasn't changed. It's been the same for decades. Uh, but a lot of colleges and universities are also an opportunity to go as freshmen. A uh, little, little, uh, little scary for some people, but it might work out. It's a short-term assignment. Um, sophomore is a good time to go then because maybe you really want to um, think about uh, immersing yourself in the language. Uh, sometimes students get to college and say, yeah, I want to study a language, but they haven't had a lot of language study or they've had a few years. If you go abroad earlier on in your undergraduate life and you immerse yourself for a semester or even a year, if it works for your, for your major, then you can really become uh, proficient um, in that year abroad. Okay. June, yeah. So junior year is another time, probably the best time for most universities, academic institutions want people to go then because you've done a lot of your coursework. You can pick and choose some of your classes. It works. You're not quite looking for those internships yet. Um, so it really does depend on the person, but I would say weigh the odds, check in with your advisors, see what the requirements are for your majors, because some people, sometimes I find this a lot with athletes or certain types of engineers, um, certain types of programs or pre-med that do not let you off that track, right? You have to take a right. class every single semester. Summertime is the best time for them, or a J term or an A term. It may not be as long as one would like. But really, any time of intense learning abroad is super important um, and has some, some benefits to the person going abroad. Okay. And so let's say, so I've, I'm a student and I've decided when to study abroad and I'm, and I'm going to go. What's the best way to prepare it before you leave? Well, the first thing I would say, I'm glad, so you've, you're, you've decided, I would say to you, why? What's your goal? What, what's your goal to studying abroad? Is it just, you know, I like to say to people, it is not, you know, drink or pub crawl uh, abroad. It is yeah. not, you know, have fun and travel abroad. It is called study abroad for a reason. There should be a study and an academic component to the time abroad. So what is your objective? Is it language? Is it um, intercultural relations? Is it understanding how economics maybe works in the EU? Or what is it? So define what that is and prepare yourself accordingly, right? Just don't wait to get there, whether it's research or books or articles or finding contacts. That's really important to identify it and how it fits into your overall program of study. So other things um, I think to go to to do to prepare beforehand is read up about your your country and don't just don't Google it. Right, you can find some really in depth um, intercultural types of um, and cross cultural types of of books and studies and research about people, but there are also some fun, cheeky ones, uh, like the Xenophobes Guide to Japan or, or some, of the, some of those types, which are kind of fun, because there is some truth in stereotypes, so kind of preparing a little bit about what the people are gonna be like, what transportation is gonna be like. 
um, study your own culture. Look, try to look at yourself and your own culture from a different perspective because many times we go abroad and we just think everybody else is different. But in fact, once we get there, we are the ones who are different. And there may be stereotypes, there may, may be approaches. We may find that people know so much more about, say, U.S. history than we do. Um, so really prepare yourself um, to be a um, global traveler, a personal ambassador for your, your own country. I, I'm not sure if your audience yeah, sure. goes beyond the U.S., but yeah. Okay, and mm-hmm. then when, well, so, so once you get there, so you're prepared, you decided when to go, well, how do you maximize your time studying abroad? How do you get the best and the most out of your trip? Um, I think the first thing is to is to realize that once you land, that it all it is probably all not going to be fabulous. There is something called culture shock, and it's defined and it's been studied for decades. And you really have to understand what it's all about because you're going to go through the elements, you know, the ups and the downs. So kind of assuming, you know, what the differences are, um, how you really you're supposed to relate to an individual, not a culture. Those things, I think, recognize and prepare for study um, for um, culture shock, which is going to happen. Um, some other things, don't, st- don't spend time with people just like you. Like if you're going over with a whole cadre of maybe students from your university or college, just don't spend time with them. Mix it up. Spend time with many other people, local students, international students. Make an effort to meet other people, make friends. Um, look for the positives in every experience because there may be some some less than positive ones. Um, again, go back to your goals. Set your goals based on your objective. What are you trying to achieve? What do you want to do? Um, adjust your, you know, your schedule to the rhythm of the local culture. Most people are like, oh, well, I get up every day at five and I go running and then I have breakfast. Well, maybe in some places that people don't really start having breakfast until 9.30 or 10. So you actually have to begin to change your schedule a little bit. Um, learning the language super, super important. Even if you've had no study before or just a little bit, just trying, finding people to talk with, coffee shops, hanging out in the park, wherever it is, fellow students, or what's better, of course, is a little bit of prep before you go and immerse yourself as much as possible in the language once you're there. Right. Wow. Thank you for that. And so uh, all your of all your travels, and you've been quite a few places, I'm assuming. Is there a travel story or something funny that sticks out that you want to share with the audience? Hmm, travel story. I have given this a. Uh, I, I talk a lot, and it's interesting. I've got a lot of horror stories. <laughs> I have a yeah, lot those, of those funny, <laughs> funny learning stories. Well, I'll tell you two. One was work related, um, and one is personal. So okay. personal, um, my family and I, we travel a lot. I have uh, twin daughters and my husband's a travel writer. So we travel a lot. So we were going to, um, Peru. We got separated because we were coming from different locations and we landed. So our, our itineraries weren't quite, um, in match. My husband was there a couple days before he was going to meet us in Cusco. We then missed our flight and a connection. So we landed, um, we decided to, I at the last minute decided to not go to Lima directly, but that we were going to go to Santiago, Chile, because I had been doing some research online at the airport late at night as I was switching our flights that um, we can go there and we can t- easily take a flight and meet him in Cusco. And we won't lose the two days because I was all about the, we've only got two weeks. Yes. 
Well, we get to Santiago. No, there are no flights. It's not easy to buy them. So we have to get on a bus. Okay, no problem. We'll get on a bus. I don't speak Spanish. My daughter thankfully did. I, they told me that I went up and I asked something about mushrooms at the uh-huh. <laughs> ticket counter. Um, but then they helped. So we got on these buses, but it wasn't a through bus. It was a, you know, a bus that stopped and actually it was a local bus. Um, oh, no. so yeah, so we're on a local bus and it's stopping literally every 30 minutes for, uh, drug searches. So okay. I'm like, Oh my God. Cause we're the only people who actually are not local. We're, we're traveling on a local bus as opposed to the express tourist bus, how we mm-hmm. got on that. Yeah. Well, language, language skills, lacking language skills. So we get to our destination to switch buses right at the border um, in Peru. And we've missed our connection by um, oh. 10, 10 minutes, 10 wow. minutes. And I'm like, okay, I'm, we're going to chase this bus down and we're in a taxi and we're going to get on that bus. Yeah. I don't know, have you ever been on a bus in Peru or, or Chile? I've been on a bus in Argentina. Okay. So it's probably similar. Do you know that they actually don't stop on the side of the road for anyone, including the police? <laughs> so we were in a taxi chasing this bus down, but I was determined we were going to get on That's so we hilarious. could get to Cusco. Yeah, until we get there and they, the police help us, you know, but we're in a mountain pass. There is nobody around. It's me and my young daughters. Um, and I'm like, oh, my God, what have I done to us? There are all these cops who are helping us with, you know, the very large uh, machine guns, which you see in many places that local police carry. And they're trying to convince the bus driver to let us on. And he's like, no, we don't stop for anybody because there are problems. There are hijacks. There are, you know, theft. And and he's like, well, here are her tickets. She's not, you know, look at her with these two kids. I mean, she's obviously not. It took us an hour and 20 minutes at this pass with the, and the heated conversations were increasing that's, that's with the police. scary then at that point. Scary. And our taxi driver boogied. He okay. left. <laughs> so, so thankfully, yes, we would have been stuck. And so it was kind of super lucky. I like to say that I, I have a little lucky star following me because I've had many instances that could have gone wrong. So I do not recommend anybody try this. But it just shows you the hubris, you know, that I'm like, oh, sure, we can do this. No problem. But I didn't bother to check to see if they don't stop buses. I didn't bother to check any of those things. So um, so that's one story. So always make sure you know what you're doing and always make sure there's extra time and room in your schedule because financial disasters as well as timing are the two reasons that most people have terrible experiences abroad, whether they're traveling or studying or what have you. Because when you run out of either one, you then become desperate and you yeah. do desperate things. So, so that's that. Um, the other, the, the professional one, if you want to have, let me share the story too. Sure, yeah. Okay. So the, um, when I moved to Hong Kong right away, I thought, oh, this is great. I'm going to take everything um, by storm. I'm going to start selling some business in. So I sold this great project in. It was a, a pharmaceutical company that had asthma um, medicines and they um there's a big problem with asthma in hong kong because of the pollution and things like that so mm-hmm. um, most people didn't understand medicines really worked right so we went and did this great big campaign to convince people to get tested to make some changes at home that might affect you know without medicines just uh you know different things, mites and pillows, those kinds of things mm-hmm. that may affect a person's breathing. And if you think um, your child has asthma, make sure you go to the doctor and you can get this uh, new great medicine and could prevent death because asthma can be very serious. 
great. Everybody loves it. Get some partners of these very top senior doctors at, um, you know, Hong Kong U and the hospital, senior executives and people at um, uh, the pharmaceutical company and my team and I, we have this big meeting and we're going along and I'm leading it. And one of the doctors says something, well, here's what we're going to do about that. And I said, well, no, we're not going to do it that way. We're going to do it this way for this reason. I didn't notice anything happening in the room. No one said anything to me. Everything just kept going. By the time I got back to my office, the CEO of our uh, region is like, well, how'd the meeting go? I'm like, oh, it was great. It was wonderful. We're going to kick it off. And it was a big deal. It was a multi-million dollar account. Yeah. And I sold it within the first few months. Okay. The, um, yeah, the, um, they said, oh, no, we want to fire you. you. Did you contradict the doctor? I'm like, what? I just said, um, no, we're not going to do it this way. And he's like, didn't anyone prepare you? And I think he called me a stupid American or something like that for uh-huh. uh, like a faith, you know, faith. Well, faith. I mean, it's an issue. I mean, Americans do. We go all over the place and we expect the world oftentimes to work the way we work and mm-hmm. operate on. Uh, and it doesn't. Right. And so I was just being my bold kind of straightforward. Let's get to the bottom of this and do it right. Uh, without taking into consideration this 60 year old prestigious pulmonologist who was recognized all over the world. Yeah. Um, and I was some, you know, you know, PR hack or what have you. So again, it's another lesson in not really understanding or knowing um, your audience well enough, knowing the culture well enough. And this can happen anywhere. It can happen in a study abroad. It can happen with a professor. It can happen with colleagues. But the, the, the point I want to make is that again, I didn't know enough about the local culture to even know that I was making a mistake. And that happens to so many of us all the time. So when we study abroad, it's really important to understand the culture. It's really important that if you don't understand what's gone on, to try to find someone who can help you interpret it. Because you might be making a really big mistake and some cultures will not tell you, right? My staff was not going to tell me I made a mistake because I was the boss. Yeah. So, um, That's a good it, point. it took a, yes. And I actually had to give that piece of business away to a colleague and I had to go find something else. It was a very big deal. Uh, so those kinds of things happen regularly. And I think so many times when we go abroad and students go abroad, it's just, Hey, this is the way we did it back there. We can do it the same here. And that is not necessarily true. Okay. Um, res- respect for another culture, respect for other people becomes incredibly interesting when you have the dynamic of many people from different countries and cultures all over the world, say, meeting in, I don't know, going to school in a place like a Dubai or um, Tokyo. I mean, all of a sudden you get the local culture and then you get all these other cultures mixing it up together um, to be sensitive, to be, um, you know, thoughtful, to... Um, listen before you speak. I mean, these are a lot of the things that I learned in my time abroad, which I think is super important for students to focus on. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, great. And then, uh, so thank you very much for sharing those two stories. They're really, I, I, and I think I got more than I bargained for. They're, that was a lot. Thank you. Yeah. No, yeah, no. Sorry, they're sorry. They're a little, little, little no, scary, perfect. the first one. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, well, you know, well, you know, Chris. Just to add on it. It's not all fun and games. It's not all fabulous. It's not all wonderful. And I think that's a really important point to communicate to people who are studying abroad because um, you got to be prepared for the ups and downs. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
And now, is there a certain food that you miss from your travels that you wish you could go out and get, like, down the street that they, that isn't available in the United States? <laughs> yes, every day, actually. I'm a foodie. I believe in a big part of the traveling is the food. So yeah, I would say, too. yeah, generally speaking, a great pad thai, you know, from a little street vendor in Bangkok or fresh bread coming out of the oven in a French bakery or... Um, you know, getting an amazingly fresh, super spicy curry in Chennai, India. I mean, it, it, everything and all of that and more. I miss every single day authentic, really good food um, from somewhere else. Um, but my favorite uh, food in the world is, um, again, narrowing it down a little, is all over Asia. So I love... Um, Cambodian, Indian, and you know, Indian is Northern and Southern and you get all types you get. Yes. uh, yes. Just like the U S has different types and China has different types of foods based on region. So I would say my favorite that I miss the absolute must is anything from South India. Really? Mm -hmm. Indian food is my favorite. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I love going to, I mean, I know I don't know how close it is, but I mean, I love going to Indian food here, like the buffets that they have and everything. So I don't know. Do they do they have buffets in India, actually? Uh, sometimes, actually. I've never seen people. Yes, actually. Sometimes in the in some fancy spots you can get it. Or it's a, one of my favorite things to do. It's, this, it's called a tali, a T-H-A-L-I. They give you a big, like a leaf, like a banana leaf. Mm-hmm. And so they put the various pieces on your okay. leaf, which is your plate, and then you eat it, and then if you want more, you say which one you want more of. So kind of like a buffet, but not exactly the same because they're just coming around with a pot and giving you more. Okay. You know, you know whatever it is that you've ordered. But yeah, the thing about Indian food is it's all very different. Like in southern India or the coastal where Madras or Chennai are, Pondicherry, those areas, that's really, really spicy and vegetarian. Um, if you go all the way to the north, where it's much more of a uh, mogul influence, um, you get more of the kormas and the creams and the nuts and the raisins and things like that, which is not so spicy, um, which is also delicious. Um, Kerala, which they call the land of the, it's in the south again, land of a, like a million coconuts or something like that. There's coconut in everything. Um, but they lots of fish because they're right on the sea. And um, it's just so different every place. Um, that really to really enjoy true Indian food, you have to go there and try the different types because they make it based on what's available locally, right? I mean, cuisines mm-hmm. come from uh, local ingredients. So. Okay. And mm-hmm. so, so I've gone there. So I've studied abroad. I have some stories. How do you, after you get back and after you graduate, how do you wrap it up and, and take advantage of studying abroad when you're seeking employment, especially for an entry-level job or something like that? I think um, there are a couple of things. And this is what I speak a lot to students a lot on campuses, and I even coach uh, career counselors. A couple of tips. One is make sure that you can answer a really easy question, which is, so I see you studied abroad in Argentina. Mm-hmm. How was it? Most people say, ah, great, fabulous time in my life. Oh, my gosh, amazing. Wow, great, the food, the travel, best friends. Ah, wish I could live there. That tells me as an employer, absolutely nothing. You know, absolutely nothing. So what is your real answer, right? 
I was challenged. I had to negotiate certain things. I took classes in Spanish. I struggled. But whatever it is, give me an answer as a potential, you know, hiring manager or for the person who asks you that question. Don't and don't sound just so, just you know, just so surface, um, uh, topical. But go deep. Give me an example. You can say it was great. One of the best times of my life because. I learned so much more about myself, being able to navigate the local transportation, making friends, speak, learning how to speak Hungarian, even though I didn't do anything. You know, give me reasons. Give me examples. Give me something. Be able to answer that question. That's number one. Two, do not hide it at the bottom of your resume. Most people put studied in Peru, you know, junior year, whatever, in the dates. That tells me nothing. Put it where your education is up top. Spent um, one semester or one month or one summer, three weeks or one year studying at the University of Peru, making that up. I don't know if there is one. Um, taking um, all my classes in um, Spanish, but studying, you know, um, Quechua on the side. You know, give me give me a little bit more on your resume. Yeah. Um, yep. LinkedIn put it there. Give me a lot more detail there, right? Spent a year, maybe some photos, maybe a short article, something a little bit more about what you've learned. Um, people now always go back and check social posts. So make sure your social posts have something good and substantive about your time abroad. Yep. But those are some things for just initial branding and positioning, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, so that's always do that, use that, maybe use it in a cover letter, you know, when somebody asks you, give me a challenge in your life, you know, you can use one of those, but make sure it's not just all about fun and travel because people say, oh, I love to travel. That's why I want a global job. Well, that's not the reason, right? So give some cross-cultural exchange, something like that, but it must be authentic. It must be authentic. Um, The other things that you can do is, you know, sit down and define how did you grow? How did you change? What did, you, what did you find out about yourself or your studies or your, you know, intellectual side or your curiosity and build on that? It's not a one, it's not this little event that happens and you tuck it away in a shoebox and stuck, stuff it under your bed. It's part of you now and it should live with inside you. So how do you make that live with inside you? It's not talking about it all the time because people don't want to hear about it. So it's maybe continuing on the language. Maybe it's building your network. Maybe it's investigating some of the entrepreneurial activities you witnessed in Argentina. I don't know what it is for you or for each individual. You need to find that out. So build on that. Build on the international experience. Right. Start continue. Yeah, right. Continue to follow. Do you follow um, like articles or news still in Argentina? Do you do things? Are you asking me? Mm-hmm. Uh no, not as much as I should. I I do check in every once in a while on a website, which is a technology website that it that there there's different speeches and groups that I'd go to. It's called Palermo uh Tech or something like that. It's with neighborhood in Buenos Aires. Mhm. That's good. Well, yeah. do that, do some more or wherever you read read the news that's going on. You should be able to talk about it. Like if I were sitting, like you were, just say you were going to come in and interview me and I saw that you did study abroad, I would ask you at least three questions. One that I already asked you, tell me about your time abroad, you know, whatever. And I'm going to leave it as a softball so you can gush and say nothing or you can be very specific because I'm going to be 
saying, oh, what is this person really like when they talk about something that they're passionate about or something like that? And they're not just practiced, right? Yeah. Answering me, the, answering the question. Two, I'm going to say, did you study the language? Okay. Because that's important to me. Um, and then the third is, so what do you think about what's going, because I would do my research and I saw, I would say, what do you think about what's going on um, in, um, you know, the elections coming up in uh, Argentina? And you're going to be like, what? elections or whatever. I'm making that up too. But I would find out something about a current event in Argentina and I would ask you about it. Okay. Because I want to know that you're smart. I want to know that you're curious. I want to know that it wasn't just this woo time abroad, right? I want to know that you took it seriously and you learned something from it. Okay. Yeah, those are... Okay. Yeah. If if I have an interview or if anyone ever interviews with you, you guys, you've got got the inside track on the questions she's going to ask now. (laughs) And I advise many uh, other employers to do the same because I, I work with a lot of companies and organizations now within HR, global policy, and how do you get the most out of your global workers? So, yeah, you can't okay. be a fraud, you know? It's got to yeah. be authentic. Yeah. Uh, and, then, and then finally, I guess, what what advice would you give to someone who's on the fence about studying abroad and not really sure if they should go or not? Um, well, ask yourself why, because I believe that um, everyone, and I put that in quotes, everyone should go abroad, but there are reasons that people can't. Um, and I would say, what is it? Is it truly, is, is, is it just, ah, nah, not for me? Is it my sports team? Okay, let's say if it's my sports team. Well, can you go in the summer? Can you go for two weeks? Can you go over Christmas? There are usually ways to get around the sports, uh, but that is a big inhibitor. Uh, none of my friends are going. Uh, so, um, do you really think that the four or five friends or your sorority or fraternity are going to be your, you know, your buddies that you're stapled to for life? No, you're going to eventually go out and find jobs in other places. So perhaps this is a good time, you know, to do that. Or I don't speak a language, right? So, uh, well, maybe you can learn, maybe you can go somewhere if you're truly frightened of another language, maybe you can go somewhere where they also speak English, Noting that, of course, it is a slightly different language. So I would say consider why. Why aren't you doing it? Many people say finances. It's absolutely finances. Well, did you know? And the Institute for International Education, IIE, has great lists of scholarships and funding and things that you can use to go abroad. Yeah. Or maybe, yeah, maybe you can find a scholarship. Or did you know that most financial aid, as long as you are getting credits, We'll pay for study abroad. Mm-hmm. So um, it really, it all depends on why. Um, I don't really want to force anyone, wouldn't force anyone to do something they don't want to do. But I would say look really hard. Try really hard to get around those obstacles okay. um, and figure that out. Because it's, again, it's, it's, a, it's a why. Why do you think most people don't study abroad? Uh, be, probably because of finances, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what our research bore out. One, yep, number one is finances. Um, but again, it can be cheaper. You can, uh, you know, unenroll from your current university. I've known a lot of people do that, and then sign up and take classes at a local university for a fraction of the cost. Yeah, there are a lot definitely of, ways around it. Yeah, so you can do those things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But again, invest investigate if it really matters to you, and talk to people who have gone. Um, really it does help but a lot of people are afraid to just leave their campus like no i'm gonna miss stuff Mm -hmm. um really the football games and the 
root beer floats and the whatevers are going to be there uh, when you get back. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the root beer floats, right? <laughs> uh, all right, and, and Stacy, is there anything else you want to add? Because that's all I have. No, no, I think it's been great talking with you. I, I, I'm, I'm passionate about people spending time abroad in whatever way, shape, or form they want to. I'm a big believer in developing a global mindset, right? really taking a look at the world through a global lens, constantly thinking about our own day-to-day lives as well as our careers or our studies or our friendships or politics or economics through a global lens because we are all interconnected. And study abroad really helps um, kind of create that um, or sharpen the focus um, for um, looking through that lens and to, to develop a global mindset because it really matters. We are more alike than different in the world. Mm-hmm. And I think the more we understand that around about people from around the world, the more understanding, welcoming that we would be. Great. Well, guys, leave me an honest review of the show. Let me know how I'm doing. Connect on social media for new interviews. Stacy, thank you very much for doing this, and we'll do it again sometime, okay? Great. You're welcome. Thanks for having all me. All right. Thank you. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed the show. Be sure to check out all the really neat infographics on the rest of the posts as well as the interviews. There's a lot of good information. You should also download Studying Abroad 201. I really recommend it if you need kind of a fire lit under your ass for studying abroad and you need some motivation. It crafts my journey and exactly what I did. Also, we can email you new interviews or you can connect with us on social media. All right, thanks a lot.